Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we look at the state of play now on cryptocurrencies and whether they can be used in India. This interview was done by my colleague G Sampat in Delhi a couple of days ago and he is in conversation with digital payments expert Shrikant. Just to catch you up a little though before we begin, this is taking off from a Supreme Court order last week that set aside a 2-year ban imposed by the RBI on cryptocurrency trading in India. That was through a circular that the central bank had issued in 2018. The Supreme Court found that circular to be too prohibitive, the action of banning cryptocurrencies too drastic. So for now, the ban on cryptocurrency has been lifted. But it's not the end of the story. The RBI will appeal the decision and the central government which seems to have some hostility toward cryptocurrencies can also just legislate around this issue and impose a ban again. So there are several things to discuss here about the government's and the RBI's position on cryptocurrencies, the regulatory issues associated with them, and just more basically about how they would work in India. when there are so many digital payment gateways now so here's sampath in conversation with shrikant so in this podcast we will take a good hard look at the issues around this development and to make sense uh, to help us make sense of it all we have with us uh, digital payments uh, expert uh, shrikant shrikant is part of cashless consumer a consumer collective working on digital payments and he has been closely following the digital money and fintech space in india for quite some time now and uh, he wants to make clear also that he does not hold any cryptocurrencies and is not a stakeholder of the crypto industry as such so in that sense he is a perfectly neutral observer of recent developments in this domain and uh, he would come to it from the payments perspective and as someone who is interested in how the rbi regulates uh, uh, digital technology so hello shrikant and uh, welcome to this show Hi Sampath thanks for having me here uh, I was thinking it will be interesting to look at uh, why uh, so much of paranoia with the RBI and what what motivated it to uh, to come up with the circular in the first place banning banks from dealing with uh, cryptocurrency uh, companies what was it thinking the RBI's banking ban uh, in in one sense uh, affected the entire crypto space but it still did not actually effectively ban crypto in its entirety in india people still uh, were transacting in crypto using peer to peer uh, transactions there were some exchanges which facilitated the transaction which directly did not uh, involve uh, monetary transactions through the exchanges but rather uh, matched uh, people who want to buy and sell and there was still some amount of crypto trading that was happening even through this course of ban which of course now the supreme court order has uh, to stay on it so these transactions must have been cash transactions cash and some even digital uh, you mean crypto to crypto, uh, crypto transactions to crypto even uh, crypto buy sell using inr but uh, where the parties uh, exchange say through other digital money platforms like say paytm or upi where like if i want to sell my crypto to you uh, and you just need to pay me some cash some amount you transfer to my upi or paytm account some money uh, the equivalent uh, currency value money and you get the crypto so the only uh, catch here is that there is no intermediary or the intermediary 
the exchange is still only doing a, a matching between the buyer and seller and not actually taking part in the transaction because when the exchange takes part in the transaction that it, it becomes obvious and the banks could kind of enforce the ban and uh, block uh, either either of the person's accounts the, the uh, rbi's uh, thinking around uh, the ban could come actually from multiple uh, perspectives i mean uh, one uh, primary reason that rbi uh, cites is uh, there could be a lot of ponzi schemes and uh, rbi needs to act in the interest of consumer because consumers are getting uh misled into this form of investment and uh, using their savings into this and they could be uh, getting uh, cheated and uh, the other reason that rbi did cite uh, was the anti money laundering uh, provisions and it it cited the uh, fatf uh, the global uh, anti terrorism anti terror financing task force uh, recommendation that virtual currencies uh, can be used by uh, uh, terror organizations for their financing needs so uh, the fatf uh, advisory was to leave it up to the uh, country to decide whether to do an outright ban or uh, do some kind of regulation and in that process uh, rbi uh, kind of chose the ban option and then the uh, other uh, concern or, or i would say also a legitimate uh, concern for the rbi is uh, rbi's stated goal uh, involves uh, managing the monetary policy of the country and uh, one reason one uh, one reason where this intersects with the cryptocurrencies is uh, there could be a possibility of capital flight uh, money moving away from uh india into uh, other jurisdictions because uh, crypto transactions can be tracked only at the originating channels and then uh, they they get pseudonymous so this directly uh, concerned uh, the monetary policy and for the stability reasons rbi kind of chose to use the ban option there could be uh, another couple of uh, way of viewing these uh, this banking ban itself one was that uh, it, it's probably in the government's interest to ban this uh, cryptocurrencies and government didn't want to make it as a government policy decision and then used kind of rbi to impose this banking ban uh, that's, so that's, that's an interesting uh, it, that's an interesting uh, uh, point why, why would the government uh, not want to do it uh, from its own uh, Uh, agency and and it look to rbi to do it what uh, what is the logic there this is again a speculation and uh, one one could just only see the uh, interministerial committee so the government uh, under department of economic affairs formed an interministerial uh, committee to look into uh, cryptocurrencies and virtual currencies uh, back in 2017 and it said the this interministerial committee has to submit its report in 3 months uh but then that report was actually finally submitted only in 2019 uh, after two long years uh now this could also uh, kind of give a sense that uh, the deliberations there were uh, kind of split while uh, the committee acknowledged the positive uh, use cases of digital literature technologies and the innovation uh, capabilities of uh, this technology 
uh, it was also there were also reservations around uh, other aspects such as money laundering and even monetary policy so and the ministry uh, and the interministerial committee did not arrive at a conclusion because probably there was uh, some lack of consensus but when the final report uh, of the committee did come around that committee did it it proposed a draft uh, banning of cryptocurrencies uh, bill in in its report but the fact that uh, it took too long years for that committee kind of says that uh, the government was probably not uh, decisive enough for uh, uh, or there was no consensus on on the way forward because there were there are costs and there are opportunities uh, whichever way it goes and it also affects the banking sector and again government itself is a key player in banking sector so it at also there's some amount of uh, conflict of interest there in in one sense so so the other uh, interesting argument and this could be a political argument is that uh, and by nature of this uh, the anonymity or pseudonymity in uh, cryptocurrencies uh, it is also possible that uh, uh, money can come in and go out of the country in in a in a sort of uh, anonymous manner and there are also allegations uh, i mean there was one uh, gujarat congress leader who famously made an allegation that uh, bjp is using cryptocurrency for uh, for political funding and uh, one way of looking at the ban is that uh, having the bitcoin uh, or the crypto open would possibly lead to other political parties using crypto uh, as against electoral bonds so in in that context probably again to kind of uh, channel political funding only through the specified electoral bond route so then now uh, but doesn't that mean that two two points here one uh, see which in my research uh, from whatever i could gather from talking to different uh, uh, crypto uh, currency platform owners and executives they say that they follow rigorous kyc norms so even if you want to open an account you have to do a proper kyc like you do with a bank so where does this uh, anonymity come in at all in the first place a and b uh, how do we uh, how do we know that with this crypto uh, transactions back in place political parties now wouldn't start using them instead of going the electoral bonds route okay so uh, firstly the uh, regulatory kyc norms prescribed by the crypto exchanges that the entire uh, thing was uh, a self regulatory move by the crypto industry and that by by that i mean only the organized crypto industry which is having an office and operating a proper crypto exchange uh, but once you have uh, crypto it uh, crypto uh, while exchanges are one means of accessing uh, cryptocurrencies it's not the only means and okay. when that is the case when crypto can come in uh, to say even your uh, wallet and technically you can still have run a software on your own laptop and you could still accept cryptocurrencies and you could hold cryptocurrencies without having any account in exchange but to convert that to the uh, indian rupee of course you do need to have go through an exchange and uh, but then uh, when there is a market or when there is an option to kind of hold them and uh, trade them there will always be some kind of hawala transactions uh, that will be possible and it will be hard to uh, say track them i mean so you could technically say you could use cash and crypto and uh, exchange uh, both uh, in, in, in even 
and that that kind of uh, skips the exchanges so that uh, again there is no data footprint on that so so that's that's one and uh, there was a second question that you asked about uh, now that uh, it is back wouldn't political parties use it again for political funding uh, as things stand by yes they can perfectly use it again so say a political party x can accept cryptos and then um, use that and trade that with cash to anybody else in the country and the government can still not know about it okay so uh, so all these concerns which you have uh, outlined in great detail what happens to them uh, now that the supreme court has uh, stayed this ban a and b uh, what was the supreme court's logic in overturning uh, this uh, ban okay so the supreme court uh, logic in overturning this ban uh, firstly we need to understand what the petition before the the prayer before the supreme court was uh, because uh, while uh, this period of uh, lack of clear policy on crypto was prevalent in the country there were a couple of petitioners uh, filing uh, before the supreme court asking for a ban on the crypto and there were some others asking for some kind of regulation on crypto and then the supreme court also through these initial hearings of these petitions also noted down that there was an interministerial committee that was formed and it is uh, doing its work in progress and there was also statements made by the finance minister in the budget uh, on the legality of cryptocurrency as a legal tender uh, and there were warnings and advisories issued uh, by RBI uh, on crypto so supreme court was kind of noting all these and uh, one possible reason that it didn't actually uh, go as far as to say that uh, the limited prayer before the supreme court was on the legality of this particular order by RBI and subsequent to the order uh, there was one exchange uh, whose amount was actually blocked by a bank citing this order so the prayer before the supreme court was uh, to ascertain the legality of this order because this is a subordinate legislation made by a regulator rbi in this case and uh, and the petitioners felt that this order uh, is not well reasoned uh, and it it violates uh, Uh, right to uh, business so uh, uh, the supreme court order sets aside this particular uh, rbi's uh, order on banking ban as well as uh, provide some relief for the other petitioner whose bank account was frozen uh, citing this uh, banking ban uh, in in one sense while the supreme court has actually uh, put a ban on this order it still upholds the right of rbi to uh, make such orders so in, in one sense one could say that rbi can still go ahead and uh, come up with another circular uh, a well reasoned bans which could say that uh, maybe a person can only hold crypto through exchanges and any person cannot hold uh, more than this amount in exchanges and exchanges should have some amount of uh, guarantee in uh, in in the banks to uh, protect consumers and so on and so forth but uh, it also goes uh, the, the challenge also was on whether rbi even has powers uh, to regulate this uh, because what is crypto i mean uh, the, the the proceedings show that the court went into the origins of uh, the digital cash and uh, the cryptocurrency um, foundations and and a kind of analyzed like what is whether crypto uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, asset or a, a 
commodity or a currency and whether rbi through the rbi regulation banking regulations act and the rbi act has powers to regulate over them does the supreme court order mean that crypto exchanges now can immediately start functioning in india or are there still some processes uh, left like so does rbi have to issue a fresh uh, circular or notification or some such thing uh, i don't think there needs to be a special circular by rbi uh, some have actually already started or resumed their inr transactions through their exchanges and since as such there is no legal ban or notification banks cannot actually do any adversarial actions on uh, anyone who performs these crypto to inr transactions however having said that rbi is planning to appeal this order uh, and it's any and as i said before it still has reasonable pass to restrict activity on uh, crypto if not a complete banking ban and in any way there is also a complete uh, banking ban uh, complete ban on cryptocurrencies uh, using a draft legislation that is pending before the parliament as well given the government's uh, and the rbi's skepticism towards cryptocurrencies you know vis-a-vis uh, you know it's it's uh, it sort of links to uh, money laundering and ponzi schemes and so on do you think there is any scope or chance for the government legislating around the supreme court order government can uh, at any point of time government can always legislate a policy decision and um, and when when that happens supreme court generally doesn't uh, interfere in the policy matters of the government and any such legislation enacted by the government uh, can only be challenged under the constitutional ground so uh, in in that sense uh, so yes the government can legislate uh, around the supreme court order and challenging that legislation uh, can only be done on the constitutional ground so uh, one thing that needs to be seen what do you, what do you see the how do you see the probability of it because there is also this view which seems to be gaining ground that uh, india can no longer afford to stay out of the cryptocurrency scene globally you know given uh, how things are moving in other parts of the world so is that really likely at all i mean of course one yes you've answered the fact that uh, the scope is definitely there but what about what would you do you say is the probability of that uh, happening uh, on the probability i mean there could be mixed views i mean uh, on one hand you could say that uh, i mean it's it's more connected world and india could no longer stay out of this uh, so while that is one side of the argument one could also argue that uh, uh there is an increased amount of protectionism and uh, sort of deglobalization if one can say that around all these trade wars and protectionism and how each country is kind of closing down uh, and i mean of course completely unrelated now with the coronavirus it's it's even like a physical uh, close down because of a different health threat but uh, having said that so this deglobalization uh, Uh, if if a country say if india chooses around that path uh, then it could well kind of ban the crypto and still say that uh, we would uh, ban crypto as as a policy of uh, for the betterment of the economy of the country okay so uh, moving uh, to a slightly different perspective here so with uh, with the legalization of uh, crypto transactions and cryptocurrencies uh, how do you think this uh, this could uh, affect the payment payments ecosystem in india will will crypto payments gradually become uh, as unremarkable or acceptable as say a paytm payment is that likely to happen crypto fundamentally 
uh, removes disintermediation between the parties in in, in that sense like uh, it's it's more closer to a cash uh, so say if you and i transact we can transact without a third party uh, knowing about the transaction so that is one uh, aspect of crypto where crypto also serves as a uh, payment system which is uh, dis, uh, decentralized and uh, provides privacy protections and like say uh, a banking payment system transaction where a bank or a, a payment system intermediary always knows about the transaction and uh, what we have actually had uh, in india is uh, a bunch of uh, payment systems and with with post demonetization there's been huge activity around the fintech but uh, all of the uh, a large section of the fintech in india is about uh, building additional layers intermediary layers uh, on top of the existing banking system and RBI kind of has consciously chosen a bank-led model for our payment systems. Uh, whereas, uh, in a if now that crypto, uh, if if crypto is still not banned and crypto slowly gets to get to mainstream, two two things need to happen. So one is uh, crypto transactions will still be costlier uh, in, in in one sense because. Uh, fundamentally, uh, centralized payment systems are efficient and uh, decentralized payment systems do have a cost. So, uh, whoever runs a crypto uh, a transaction would probably pay a higher fees and, and can can and at some level can never match, say, uh, a zero or a near zero uh, transaction cost, which we are looking at uh, in, in the current uh, payment systems that are uh, operated in India. So, uh, if crypto then had to get mainstream, people actually need to kind of bear that cost uh, of of the transaction, and and uh, that people would do when they see a value in it. So, uh, the value could be uh, privacy. The value could be uh, other uh, efficiency gains uh, that happen because of crypto. For example. Uh, a smart contract that is built on top of a crypto could be far more efficient. Those kind of innovations have to kind of uh, be in the market and kind of beat around the existing payment systems. And it remains to be seen like how far this goes. And but isn't the cost you are uh, sorry? Isn't the cost you are referring to uh, a factor to do with scalability and scale? If the adoption of crypto payments works up to a level which is comparable to fiat currencies to some extent. Wouldn't the cost uh, per transaction come down uh, automatically? Uh, I, I won't say it would come down automatically because again, uh, it, it depends on uh, the kind of the cryptocurrency uh, specific model. So, for example, like whether does the currency have a mining or uh, if if what is the cost of maintaining uh, the verification nodes and who runs these and what their incentives are and uh, We've also, and in fact, even the Supreme Court order kind of, uh, there was a brief mention about uh, environmental sustainability and uh, the power requirements to kind of uh, run these decentralized systems. So, uh, and at some level, uh, I mean, uh, in, in a very theoretical manner, centralized systems are highly efficient. So, uh, as again, say, decentralized systems and um, while there could be innovations on multiple fronts, say including the power uh, on, and say using a new battery technology or something like that, which which comes around and uh, 
resolves this then uh, we could kind of see a very different ball game but as as things stand by it might still be costlier uh, to do a, a decentralized uh, crypto transaction and there will be a cost and and on the other side we also kind of see um, this zero mdr kind of uh, push the, from the government on the centralized payment systems that are being operated so in, in that scenario uh, i'm sorry i didn't get that zero mgr what is that so uh, the uh, uh, from uh, january 2020 the government of uh, india kind of uh, through through an order mandated that uh, payment systems such as rupee and upi must not charge any merchant transaction processing fees so the payment is actually so when you make a payment it's supposed to be a zero transaction cost uh, payment as against so uh, so this is possible because we are having a highly centralized payment systems which uh, are uh, uh, running uh, with a high degree of efficiency whereas when you compare that with a decentralized payment system which uh, which will have its its cost for transactions so uh, there will be a point where uh, people need to choose whether they uh, are willing to pay a transaction cost uh, for making a transaction and only th- uh, and and they have to compete and these solutions have to compete with the say a zero transaction cost solution that is prevalent uh, this is two uh, last subjects that i think we can cover uh, given the time uh, we have so is there uh, is there any particular regulatory approach uh, that india uh, could probably uh, learn from uh, or or use when it comes to uh, giving a proper framework for regulation of crypto or uh, the crypto sector in india for example in japan uh, where it's it's almost as good as legal tender you can you can walk into a bank and uh, and ask for bitcoins or whatever and uh, in india we are a long way from that so which uh, which country's model or, uh, or or framework do you think uh, is best suited for a place like india i think the uh, one thing that needs to be uh, kind of uh i mean which needs a serious uh, thinking and uh, an open discussion is around the monetary uh, policy impacts and uh, the impact of uh, having crypto i mean while rbi says that uh, having crypto impacts monetary policies it it would be good to kind of have a well uh, researched uh, a research paper with with uh, concrete numbers as to what kind of impacts that this could have and, and one needs to have different kind of models to predict these and say then say that uh, having these cryptos impact monetary policy by this much and and then uh, the policy kind of need to uh, be around uh, if if we need to have have this monetary policy impact and what are the cost if this is the cost and what are the possibilities of growth of using cryptos and whether this cost and uh, the growth opportunities uh, tally each other and then decide on the policy on uh, whether to ban or whether to uh, kind of regulate crypto and uh, perhaps we could uh, sh- perhaps we could be looking at how other central bankers how does the us uh, fed or the japanese central bank uh, uh, look at all this you no know, lending issues and uh, volume issues and so on maybe uh, there are some lessons uh, for us from their experience there was also some talk of the rbi coming up with its own uh, cryptocurrency you know many federal central bankers have been talking of introducing their own cryptocurrencies which then uh, begs the question of uh, 
what happens to the whole decentralization thing you know because then it becomes centralized in a way no, no uh, the uh, central bank uh, digital currency uh, that's that's where the conversation has been around uh, in by few central banks and there have been some pilots in some countries uh, is again uh, a form of uh, an alternate form of uh, digital currency so in some sense it could just mean uh, moving away from paper to some some kind of digital artifact uh, by retaining the properties of the currency and also not having uh, that currency through the banking channel so that currency could directly be say uh, issued by the uh, central bank and can be controlled just as how today banks control uh, the reserve bank control the uh, money supply and, and in and in some sense that it, it's possible it's easier to control the money supply uh, if it's a digital currency in and that may or may not be cryptocurrency that may or may not be centralized or decentralized so uh, there are again multiple uh, options and again another uh, key challenge there is the uh, regulatory capacity the cyber security capacity and uh, all of these also play up additionally especially when one thinks of a central bank itself involving these operations but i think there there are some kind of uh, moves towards that uh, and okay so uh, lastly uh, uh, one uh, somewhat uh, i don't know slightly uh, trivial question if i may so there have been lot of uh, uh, crypto lob- and crypto lobbyists the pro crypto uh, experts who are now saying that given the uh, phenomenal returns uh, of uh, bitcoins and other currencies uh, over the years you know if you look at them as assets they are saying that uh, maybe the rbi should also consider having holdings in cryptocurrencies and they can then uh, use uh, use them at an appropriate time to fill our coffers and so on so forth do you think that's a good idea for us and it will also give a fill up of course to the the crypto sector as well because then their overall value go goes up so do you think this is a good idea to consider uh, i i think such ideas need to kind of have some kind of uh, credible research on the costs and benefits of it so because it's it's risky to have volatile assets as reserves and then because that defeats the whole points of uh, point of reserves and it may not be worthwhile to keep uh, reserves until there is also a global acceptance of crypto and like one can't use the short term data points i mean there was a crypto boom uh, and gave phenomenal returns in the short term but that need not actually be the case uh, in future as well and and you can't have macroeconomic decisions uh, decided using such uh, 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 very narrow data points great uh, shrikant thank you so much for uh, talking to us on this subject uh, it's been uh, a pleasure talking to you and learning so much about this entire issue and i'm sure there'll be more opportunities for us to take this discussion forward as uh, things unfold in this domain thank you so much thanks sir